Hey everyone, this is Hallie. And this is Adrian. And together we are the, the Bottle, Bottle Blondes. Blondes. This is the Unstuffy Wine Podcast for funny people. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts, such as Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Podbean, and more. Please download an episode and leave us a review. And you can also follow us on social media at our Instagram, at Bottle Blondes Wine. We'll have pictures of the wine we drink for the podcast and our other adventures in wine. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Bye. Bye. Well, I mean, <laughs> I usually just let it roll for a second and then I trim off whatever we don't need. You mean the, our, our listeners don't want to hear us do robot noises? They don't want to hear us do Kermit robot noises. <laughs> That's right. It's more Muppet, like a Muppet robot. <laughs> beep, bop, burp. Beep, 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 boop. Welcome uh, to Bottle Blondes! <laughs> wow! <laughs> We've had some Pinot. <laughs> we did have some Pinot, um, so we're nice and loose for a very dense topic, yes. <laughs> potentially. Wine <laughs> law. <laughs> yeah, wine law, wine labels. Yeah. Yeah. So, over this past year, during the wonderful time of COVID, <laughs> Hallie and I both took um, both took classes through the... What is it called? Wine Scholar Guild. The Wine Scholar Guild. Thank you. And um, we decided to diversify a little bit so that we could kind of each both encompass two major wine regions um, that we you, you encounter all the time but are kind of dense and hard to understand. So I, I uh, did the French Wine Scholar course and Hallie did the Italian Wine Scholar course. Um, these are very, I would describe them as very academic courses. It's like you're really learning a lot um, in addition to like what the wines are of those regions, but you're learning a lot about the history. You're learning a lot about the geology, the place, the the weather. And then on top of that, like what grapes are grown in certain regions, what the regions are, are what they're called. And that really helps you just solidify a, a good um, knowledge of how to approach you know, wines from that country and look at them and be like, I understand where this is coming from. It's not like in the United States where you're like, oh, I know what grape this is. It's like, you really have to understand the region. Um, yeah, everything on the label, m most of the time you are not in France and Italy, you're not going to see the name of the grape on the label. Mm -hmm. It's all done by region. Mm -hmm. So I think that is the biggest intimidating factor yeah. with French and Italian wine and their labels. It's just like a lot of people think Chianti's a grape. You know, it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not. And you know what? I shouldn't laugh because it's it's not common knowledge, especially coming from America. You you know, you there's no way you would know exactly what was in a Chianti until you started to get really into nerdy wine knowledge. And so hopefully with this episode, we can help break down some of those barriers uh, to entry and explain how to read uh, Italian and French wine labels. And then we're also going to uh, dive a little bit into some regions that you know, going into to wine scholar courses, um, maybe we knew a little bit about, but didn't know a lot about. And the, you know, learning about these regions really surprised us. And like, we learned something new. We got to taste something new that we'd never had from anywhere else. So we'll, we'll kind of do a little bit of, um, of a region highlight as well. Yeah, that'll be exciting because, you know, you're going to teach me something about France and I'm going to teach you something about Italy. Yeah. And, and then we're going to do that like TikTok dance where we do the swinging arms. What? <laughs> Man, people do some real doofy shit on TikTok. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I just heard about a trend where you like try to like dry drink protein powder before a workout and people are like choking because they're dumb. What the fuck is wrong with people? I don't know. Like, what the fuck do you think just is going to happen when you put a bunch of powder, powder. down your throat and then down your gullet. It with water? Like, uh, you're going to choke. Ew. <laughs> anyway. We're not here to talk about idiots on TikTok. No, we're not. We're not. I'm sorry for mentioning <laughs> but I do TikTok. No, and now you have to show me the dance after. I will. I will. <laughs> it's usually like two opposing things and then like where they meet in the middle. Oh, cool. Yeah. Like a symmetrical dance. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah. So I think the first thing that we're both kind of going to collectively talk about is 
something that is in both Italy and France and kind of like in part of the whole entire EU in general is this idea of like a quality pyramid. Yeah. Although, you know, I think quality period, period, <laughs> quality pyramid. I've never had a quality period. Let me no, just say that. <laughs> I don't think a single woman has. I've never gone into that time with them and been like, this was quality. Quality? <laughs> More like... All men need to have a period for five years so they can understand uh, the hell associated with that dream. <laughs> anyway. Anyways. The quality pyramid. I'm going to stop calling it the quality pyramid. We're just going to call it the pyramid. Yeah, it's the like pyramid. A, it's like a designation because really what these um, tiers of the pyramid mean are just varying degrees of... Regulation. Uh, regulation, yeah. exactly. So um, Italy and France uh, have their own pyramid and still mostly go by that... Uh, pyramid, but in 2009, mm-hmm. the EU introduced this kind of um, pyramid that could be used across all of Europe. And the way that it is is it's just three tiers, and the bottom tier is a table wine, mm-hmm. which is like you don't really know where the grapes are coming from. There's not going to be anything special on the label. It's probably just going to be like red wine, exactly, of Italy or red wine of France. You'll probably get it in a restaurant if you're visiting you know that location you're not really going to find it in the grocery store um going down the aisle if, if you're looking at french or italian wine exactly and then the next level up from that is something called a pgi mm-hmm. and that kind of equates to the igt igp categories in france and italy which we'll get into in a second totally and then the top of this one is called pdo and i'm that is a combination of kind of both countries, I think, um, higher quality. Yeah. Or more, excuse me, more regulated. More regulated. Yeah. It, basically, like the top, uh, the top tier, it doesn't indicate that this is the best wine out of these three tiers. It indicates that it is the most tightly controlled. So it's, it's basically, if you're seeing something with that on the label, you're seeing, uh, it's telling you it's going to be a combination of these possible grapes grown um, in it or, you know, using a specific type of blend, like a 50, 75, whatever percentage in the bottle. Um, and that it's going to be aged or made in a very specific way. So again, like you really have to start learning about the region um, in order to understand what's in the bottle because you kind of learn about the laws of that region. Unless you're doing one of these academic courses, it's like, okay, there's so much knowledge out there. Where do I even begin? Just pick what you like. Um, Pick a grape that you like and then start looking up where that grape is grown in either, you know, France or Italy and start learning about just one region. I would say like for France, like Beaujolais is very approachable. It's mostly just Gamay. It doesn't have a whole bunch of subregions, and it kind of has some fun history to it. So like that would be my recommendation if you're like, I don't even know where to start. Um, and once you start kind of learning the laws of one region, you see how they apply to other regions. And then at that point, it just becomes knowing the grapes that are grown there and why. Exactly. And, you know, and it's going to vary from region to region. You know, Adrian just gave a great example of Gamay. There's just one grape there. You know, in Italy, it gets a little more complicated because of the vast amount of grapes. And native grapes. And so many native grapes. But um, a lot of the, like, kind of smaller areas like uh, Liguria, Lazio, um, Molise, Basilicata, those are maybe good entry-level, you know, I'm going to call them states, right? Because they're, you know, there's regions and then there's whatever. So (laughs) I don't even know where those are. I'm like, are they at the heel? Are they in the mountains? Where are they in the boot? (laughs) Yeah, I would. So Liguria is actually uh, at the top of the boot. And then Lazio. Shaft. (laughs) (laughs) More shaft jokes. (laughs) Um, The other ones are more considered, um, like, so... uh, Lazio, I would say, is central, and then Melise is down there, and then Basilicata is more in the, in the heel area. And they just kind of grow like one or two grapes. Okay, um, that's an easy way to But they're to also it. ones that you don't see a lot in the store because Italy kind of keeps some of that stuff to itself, as yeah. we'll you know, find out. And I'm sure the same thing with France. Oh, yeah. Oh, goodness. Keep a lot of stuff themselves. No, imp- Keep no a lot. imports. The thing that France loves to do, what I learned, is make rules and then just break them. Mm. <laughs> It's just consistently over and over. But 
back to the pyramid. Back so, to the pyramid. So the EU, like you said, in 2009, instituted this this way to kind of make things more uniform. And France and Italy were kind of like, mm, fuck that. We kind of <laughs> love our own wine pyramids that we already have established. Exactly. <laughs> For like many, many years. And yeah. especially like in the case of Italy, they were like, well, no, like yeah. you have to be a DOC for 10 years before you can get DOCG status. And now you want to put us both in the same, in like the same PDO. You're never going to see PDO, <laughs> IGP or whatever table. Like, yeah, it just says table, table line, line um, on labels. But it, if you want to approach it from the like uniform, they both, they both follow these, the same logic. Exactly. And then it's just about learning the terms from each country. Right. So you want to do Italy first? Yeah, let's do Italy first. So there's one extra, as I kind of mentioned, there's like one extra um, area of the pyramid. We still have at the bottom uh, the the Vini de Tavola, as it's called. Ah, the, Vini t- de tavola. the Vini de Tavola. The <laughs> And then after that, we have the IGT, so typical geographic uh, indication, which mm-hmm. just means that the grapes are generally going to come from the area they say they are. There's not going to be, like, you know, designated by a specific growing area. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we have a DOC, which is a wine with control designation and origin. And then above that at the top is DOCG. And what we're adding at the end there is a control designation of origin guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> Today only. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. I know. It's... I find that delineation kind of silly. I mean, it's not obviously like once it comes to practice but like (laughs) well and that's the thing though wines that are like i said kind of mentioned before a wine has to be a doc for 10 years before it gets to be a docg and then when it is a docg it's really um subjugated to a lot of regulations Mm -hmm. and testing like the wine regularly gets tested something in italy called the disciplinaire um and now that I'm thinking about it, I think the disciplinaire is just the document which okay. kind of controls the rules for that area. Okay. So, yeah. So you're probably in the store going to find IGT, DOC, DOCG. and DOCG. You're not going to find table wine. And most, I want to say, like, this is me just slapping a percentage based on my own experience, is the indicate a DOC or a DOCG is going to be on something called a fascetta. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the that little ribbon. Yeah. So the fascetta kind of looks like watermarked money almost. And it's yeah. normally around the uh, kind of towards the neck. Uh, and a gold fascetta is going to be a DOCG. And a blue fascetta is going to be a DOC. That's cool. I never knew the name of that. I was just like, I don't know, the fucking stamp ribbon thing. Yeah. Oh, here I have. There's my note that I was trying to find earlier. Yeah, a DOCG has to undergo laboratory analysis to comply with the physical and analogical parameters. That's rough. Um, yeah. Expensive, probably. <laughs> it's. Uh, I mean, you have to be around for a while and really prove that you're mm-hmm. in it to win it in order to <laughs> get a DOCG. Um. And let's, so next I want to talk about, so that's the first indicator, mm-hmm. then that's going to be around the neck. And then the next thing that you're going to see on the label is obviously going to be probably the region, mm-hmm. or if it's not a region, you'll have a grape on there. Um, and again, you're not always necessarily going to know what grape it is because it'll just be labeled by the region. Right. Um, other indicators, uh, another thing that always has to be on a bottle of wine is the vintage, the year that it was harvested. Okay. Um, that's also going to be on there. Uh, other things that you're going to see on the label are something called a, well, not always. Again, this is just going to depend if it's a DOC or it's a DOCG. These are things that could be on a label to give you more hints as to what's in the bottle. Uh, sometimes regions have subzones. In Italy, they're called sotazona. And you, again, won't usually recognize those unless you're familiar with the DOC or the DOCG. Other things on the label uh, that you're going to see actually more commonly are something called Classico. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Classico just means that it's a a hysterical. It's so, (laughs) so funny. funny. It's a historical (laughs) growing area of tradition and production for that grape. Um, 
And then there's another thing that can be on there called an MGA or a UGA, and that's just an additional geographic designation within a DOC or DOCG. And that's usually like only referring to a, a vineyard, and we equate it to the French crew. Okay. Which Mr. Adrian will uh, get into oh, yeah. when we get into that. Um, the other labeling requirements that you're going to see on an Italian wine label um, is going to be, like I said, the appellation has to be on there. Um, in the case, you will sometimes have the grape and the place, so you'll see like Barbera de Alba. So D apostrophe or DI means of the place. Mm -hmm. So Barbera from the province of Alba. Um, you're also going to have the name and location of the bottler, and you're also going to have the ABV on there and the volume and batch number. And one final thing, my favorite thing about Italy, is that it comes, a lot of grapes come in a variety of styles. Uh -huh. So this is helpful for when you were like, I want a dry wine, I want a sweet wine, I want a fully sparkling wine, I want a not so fully sparkling wine, I want the one with dried grapes, I don't want this. So I'm gonna go through these kind of quickly, okay. um, but I just wanna give you, you know, a snapshot of what some of these could mean if you see them. So obviously Bianco is white. That's easy. Rosso is red. Okay. Uh, obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> obviously, Rosato is going to be a rosé, but you're also going to see Ciretto, uh -huh. and that's a rosé from a very specific DOC. There's some DOCs that like specialize in a rosé of a particular grape mm. to that area. And that's a Ciretto. Yes, a Ciretto. Um, so the like dry to sweet delineations are going to be a uh, avocado is medium dry, <laughs> a mobile is medium sweet. You guys, I tried really hard to memorize all of my instructor's pronunciations of <laughs> these words, so I would it's not be terrible hard. at it. Right, uh, dolce is sweet, you know, like a, a dolce vita, and then secco is a dry wine. Um, other things that you're going to see are going to be uh, uh, spumante, which is which means fully sparkling, like Asti spumante. It's a fully sparkling wine. Frizzante is semi-sparkling. <laughs> and then there's this dumb category, which I've never seen in my life, called vivace. Ah, vivace. Which, which means lively or lightly fizzy. Um, two other big ones you're going to see uh, is pasito, which means it was made with semi-dried grapes. Reserva, which is extended aging, which means it spent extra extra time in barrel. And then there's also superiore, which means that under the disciplinaire, it's required to have like a higher ABV and the yields are like more restricted. Okay. So a superiore may not be a reserva and vice versa. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so. Okay. Like superiore is kind of like a quality marker. Okay. Okay. Um, Reserva is an aging, an aging marker. marker. Exactly. And then Classico is a historical classical region marker. Um, Crazy. Okay. Yeah. There's a couple other terms which I wrote down, but we don't really have to get into because I don't. I don't. I've never personally seen a lot of these on a label. So I mean, I know that was all kind of a lot of information, but again, if you're interested in learning about this stuff yourself, get a bottle. Take it slow. <laughs> <laughs> write some notes. Write some notes to Yeah, him. write down what you see on the bottle as you're buying stuff and then go look it up. And then, you know, you're going to kind of be able to recognize those things over and over again. I'm realizing that Italian wine has a lot more, like, design. I don't know, not designations, names and labels for things. And, like... French has a lot too, but it's it rarely appears on the label. It's like it's almost like a point of pride in France where they're like, you should just know what is in the bottle, and if you don't, you are fucking stupid. Oh yeah, Italy's like, I want my producer, I want my vintage, I want the brand of the wine, I want the name of the grape, I want the name of the appellation. Oh, did I mention? <laughs> oh, I and I need a fancy ribbon. I need What's a it ribbon? called again? Fichetta. A fichetta. I also want an MGA designation, and I also would like a. It's classical. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's from Chianti. Oh, it's I oh, aged and it it's a, a Reserva. Oh, yeah, aged a lot longer, so put Reserva on there. Oh, and you know what? This is also my Superior version. So, can there be a wine that's a Classico Reserva Superiore? Because they're technically all different things, or is it just going to be kind of rare that they all that's, appear? I want to say extremely 
rare. Okay. I mean, you're definitely in an area that does have Classico regions, like Chianti, like um, Suave. Mm. Quite a few, I mean, those are the ones that you're probably going to see the most in grocery stores, which is why I call them out. Um, But in more like kind of like historically well-known long viticulture practice areas of Italy is where you're going to see more Classico on the label. Yeah. And, you know, obviously the Reserva is only going to be Reserva wines that can age. Yeah. So something like Suave, you're probably not going to have a Reserva on that as often because, I mean, you can age Suave, but it's a better when it's drank, you know, a little, like pretty quickly after. I don't know. Yeah. It's a fresh, it's a fresh white grape. You're going to see it more on uh, red wines and then... Uh, Superiore, you can see on, I want to say, like, equally kind of red. Yeah. Right. But you're not going to really see those uh, main designations on, like, an IGT wine, which is one that we have uh, right here, which is pretty, a pretty barren label for an Italian wine. (laughs) But um, we're not there yet, because now Adrian is going to talk to us about French wine labels. So similar to Italy, there's a wine pyramid. Um, However, in France, there's only three levels. Um, So at the bottom is the table wine. It's called uh, Vansan Indication Geographique, or Vansan IG. Uh, And then in the middle, there's the IGP, uh, Indication Geographique Protégé. And then at the top, there's, um, you you could see one of the, you could see either. It's AOC or AOP, and they both mean the exact same thing. It just depends uh, on the preference, probably, of the winemaker or maybe the preference of the laws in that region. So AOC is uh, Appellation de Origine Controle, and AOP is Appellation de Origine Protege. I probably bungled those a little bit. One thing that you are going to commonly see on labels, um, when you find that, that AOC or that AOC or AOP, a lot of times it'll just say appellation and then instead of origin, it'll say the appellation and then either control A or protege. So that is your biggest indicator when you're when you're looking at a wine to figure out where it's coming from, you're gonna look for that AOC or AOP. Um, and then you, from there, you can kind of go look up what it is. Uh, sometimes they'll still have it varietally, varietally labeled. Like I have a bottle of um, Poussard from from Jura, and it says it says uh, Appellation Arbois Controle, and then it says Poussard, and Poussard is the grape. But a lot of times they're not going to put the grape on the label, and there's going to be a lot of variation between labels <laughs> all over the place. Um, <laughs> And depending on the place and the winemaking practices, you're going to see, you know, sometimes you might encounter a semi-sweet wine and it'll be indicated as semi-sweet or it may not. (laughs) You kind of just, the appellation and the location is going to be your biggest hint. The AOC system was established in 1935. um, And the reason I tell you who established it is because this guy's name is so fucking long and great. (laughs) Oh. His name is Baron Pierre Leroy de Bossemarie. <laughs> and he essentially, uh, he was down in Chateauneuf du Pape, and he was like, I want to establish and protect this region, delineate it as Chateauneuf du Pape. And he went on to form the Appellation de Controle, uh, de Origin Controle system which governed by an organization called the Institut National de Appellation de Origin, also known as the INAO. So that's the system, that's the government organization that controls all of this French wine law and labeling is the INAO. Um, and they're real strict, real strict people. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, your job is literally rules and regulations. Exactly. I mean, most of my actual day job is rules and regulations. Um, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. Um, and, you know, same thing exactly as the, as the Italian, you know, tiers. It's like IGP, it just means that it's from a specific place. Um, and then AOC means it's like from an even more specific place. Of course, um, Jen. Yeah. If it says, because we see on a French wine labels a lot, Vin de 
Pai. Mm-hmm. Is that like considered? That's IGP. That's like an IGP. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Will they put both of those typically on a label or like? Um, the Vindipai is retired. So oh, technically okay, the newer wines won't use it, but you'll see it on older wines. That's a great oh, question. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, the, they used to have four different categories. Um, Vindipai was always the IGP, but in between AOC and Vindipai, there used to be something um, called BDQS, and I'm not even going to try and... <laughs> Ew, pronounce it sounds this. Like it a sounds like a venereal disease. It's basically like uh, kind of a level in between where um, it was like an interim phase as wines transitioned from Vindipai to AOC. Gotcha. Which I don't know why, but they had that and now it doesn't get used anymore. And um, the previous Vinsan IG used to be Vindatab. So if you saw that on wine level, it's just table wine um some other things that you may or may not find but are probably gonna be fairly common um when it comes to sparkling wine um there's instead of saying how fizzy it is they're gonna label it by the method that it is it is produced so um champagne is Méthode Chapinois. <laughs> and then outside of of champagne, they call it the traditional method or méthode traditionnelle. Of course, champagne has their own oh, special yes. name for oh the God. traditional method. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of traditional method sparkling in Italy, mm-hmm. and they just, yeah, method traditionnelle. Method traditionnelle, yeah. <laughs> and another thing that you're going to see commonly with those method traditionnelle wines that come from outside of um, Champagne is Cremant. So Cremant is going to be the Champagne-style made sparkling wine from any of the other regions in France that do not make wine and champagne but do make sparkling wine so you're gonna say cremant de bourgogne if it's from burgundy you're gonna see cremant de jura if it's from the jura um there's cremant in almost every region i believe or at least if there's not it's they're starting to experiment Mm. with it Mm -hmm. and basically the traditional method um or cremant means that it is it goes under a double fermentation process, which I'm not going to get into because we're not talking a lot about sparkling wine. And then it's aged for a certain specific period of time um, in bottle. And then it's disgorged. And then that's that. <laughs> and there's and that. I'm really not doing a great job of explaining that. but um, Well, no, because, I mean, it's good because there's, mm-hmm. I mean, there's another whole method of making sparkling wine, which is the tank method. That's right. Um, which I don't know if France does a lot of tank method. So they really don't. But the if you if you see sparkling wine and it's not méthode traditionnelle and um, sometimes it's méthode ancestrale, which means that it it's uh, not a double fermentation, but it's like a paused fermentation. So it starts to undergo fermentation and then it's stopped by usually temperature. temperature control. Control. Yeah, we have that in Italy too, and it's called that as well yeah so i'm sure italy stole it from france exactly (laughs) and then the the levels of atmospheric pressure kind of designate whether it is uh you know traditional method which is the most sparkling um you can also get uh mousseau which is kind of the medium sparkling and then there's petillant which is kind of lightly sparkling Mm. so those are three sparkling designations that you might see. Um, and then in terms of sweet versus non-sweet, you're going to find uh, molu is semi-sweet or liquoroux is sweet. Liquoroux! <laughs> and those, I haven't seen those on labels, but Yeah, liquoroso is the one for like a fortified one in Italy, but I've yeah. never seen liquoroso on a label. But again, yeah. maybe just not exposed to those wines yet. And then one fun thing that we're going to get into a little bit later is uh, VDN, which is a a, a fortified wine. So it's typically sweet, not always sweet, but typically sweet fortified wine um, called Vindu Natural. So that's another thing you might encounter. But to go back to the top, you're usually going to most of the time either see AOC or AOP or IGP on your wines. 
when you're shopping around in the grocery store. And once you find that, the thing that's usually right below it is gonna be where it's from. And everything else is gonna be either the winemaker or saying that it's made on the property or off the property, um, or maybe a little, a little bit more hints about the winemaking technique and what's in the bottle. But yeah, location is key. Yeah key for both France and Italy. Yeah. This is really dry. I don't know how people teach this stuff. I like, know. Don't worry. We're going to get into some fun region stuff in a are. second. But it is a big deal uh, in France and Italy if you put that you are the one doing the bottling yourself. Because yeah. if you're selling the wine to a merchant or a negotiant, they're making the wine and they're making the wine someplace else that isn't on the property. Mm -hmm. And that matters to some people. In Italy, it's called, oh God, I'm going to butcher this, Imbatagola... <laughs> Imbatagalato de Origin, a state bottle. And I think in France it's like mise en bottle. Yeah, in Propriétaire or in Chateau. Oh, en Chateau. En Chateau. En Chateau. And with champagne specifically, so if you start to learn about French wine, you start to learn about the negotiant system, which is basically like somebody who buys grapes from um, smaller producers and then and then makes them under a bigger wine label. So the, a good way to think about this practically is a lot of the champagne, big champagne houses are negociants. They don't grow their own grapes. They buy them from special producers in lands um, around the region. Um, but the two you might see are either a recolant uh, negociant, which means it's that bigger house label that, that buys grapes from other people, or you might see negociant, uh, or no, sorry, recolant manipulant, which means that it is a manipulator. A, yeah, a manipulator. <laughs> so they buy, they, they grow the grapes, and then they manipulate them into their own wine. They produce the wine themselves, and it's all done on place. And it's usually kind of a really good indicator of quality if you can find something that is... Recolant manipulant. Ooh, I yeah. like how it rhymes. It, no, it's very nice. It's uh, like a French rap. Manic, uh, manipulant, negotiant, jambelle. Jambelle and jambelle. Jambel. <laughs> I didn't learn any other French, but. <laughs> um, also, pronunciation, just good luck. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff online, but. Um, yeah, it was hard for me, tough. like, you know taking a lot of French in college and high school and then doing Italian, Italian and realizing, you know, the biggest difference between the two languages is that the French don't pronounce those vowels at the end. Like and anything. the Italians do. <laughs> they like, pronounce it all. The fuck out of it. Um, one thing that I think deserves a, a quick mention is crews. <sighs> Every uh, crews are just... Why do I even think about this? Crews are just, like, super special vineyards like specific vineyards yeah specific vineyards grand crews are like the best site the best location premier crews are gonna be um like second best and then you have village village um or you have just the regular aoc or aop so if you're spending a lot of money you might get into the crew levels um and things that are premier crew or grand crew are going to be there's going to be a little bit of difference in labeling like some i think premier crew lists the village and grand crew doesn't i could be mixing that up it could be the other way around but um the crew system's confusing and some places like <laughs> have crew levels and then other places just have crew and they don't have grand or premier like beaujolais is a good another good example of like they have crews they're just crews <laughs> Yeah, and then I think another thing that comes up on labels for both of ours is this um, a landscape feature. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're going to see the word coli mm. on Italian wine labels a lot. That just means, like, hills. Oh. So it could be, like, you know, something from the hills of something, and you'll see coli, C-O-L-L-I, mm. on the label. Um, and that's a good indicator that that's coming from like a, a know, nice a nice side. a nice region you know wine has to grow on hills and then like for France is like what clo like a wall like Claude oh barf <laughs> yeah I don't remember honestly that's all right that's okay we already went well above and beyond yeah I don't think you're gonna need a lot of that stuff <laughs> and just again look for the place and then go from there <laughs> All right. All right. Coming back. Coming back. Taste some wines. Yes. Um, and talk about the regions they come from. Yeah. So one of the areas or states, 
regions, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm not doing Italy a service by calling them states, but, you know. But they are called states yeah, in Italy, yeah. Yeah, is a Campania. So Campania is a very ancient winemaking region with Fine. very specific uh, traditions. It has these historic areas of Vesuvio, Mount Vesuvius, uh, Campi Flegri, and Ischia. So Campania, as you know it today, is known for the city of Napoli, which is where a lot of really um, gastronomic creations that we all love mm. come from, like pizza. Ah. Uh, it's known for Pompeii, where Vesuvius uh, covered like Kablooey. Kablooey and buried the shit out of two towns. There's another one which I didn't write down, but everyone knows Pompeii. Yeah. Still being excavated. Uh, the Amalfi Coast. Ooh. Yes. <sighs> Gorgeous area where they also make a lot of uh, limoncello, which is a delicious oh. aperitif. Delicious. So, uh, so just some quick history here is Campania was a very like important area of this area known as Magna Graecia or Greater Greece. So Greece okay. actually used to encompass all of Southern and some of Middle Italy. Okay. So, um, and yeah, it was shared by native tribes and the Greeks and Etruscans. And then the tribes fought with them and then the tribes took over. And then Rome was just like, boosh, kicked down the door. <laughs> and was like, this Get out. shit's mine now. And they picked it because it was an extremely um, fertile area for agriculture. And the location was ideal for trading right there in the Tyrrhenian Sea. Yeah. Um, the shin of the boot. The shin of the boot. Uh, and then later on, we're going to go right. We're just going to fast forward because obviously there was centuries upon centuries of people getting all up in Italy yep. from France to Spain to <laughs> the whole shebang. Everyone whole wanted shebang. a piece of Italy. Anybody so. want a piece? <laughs> Anyone want a piece? Lots of instability in Italy for centuries. Um, so let's just get there to when Phylloxera was kind of taking over Europe. Oh Bad God. times. Bad times. So Phylloxera did arrive pretty late in Campania, and that is in part due to the extremely volcanic uh, nature of the soil there. Mm-hmm. So phylloxera likes more like compact, tight, moisty situations. <laughs> tight, moisty situations. <laughs> and volcanic soil is not that. Okay. It is um, it's loose. It's loose. It's sandy. So they weren't a big uh, fan of that. Okay, that's so, good. Um, so yeah, Campania faces the Trinian Sea. Um, it's got the uh, southern Apennines coming kind of down towards the middle back of it. It's really hilly, 50% hills, 34% mountains, very little plain area. It's a very geographically hostile area because mm-hmm. it's got um, the volcanic island of Ischia. It's, Vesuvius is still very active. And Whoa. of course people are like, let's put another big town right by Vesuvius. <laughs> So, you know, Napoli's in danger if that ever blows. Um, there was also really bad earthquakes there, too. Uh, so there's lots sense. of, like, Geographic activity, yeah. stuff happening there. Um, so it's very famous for the islands of Capri. And then, like I said, Ischia is volcanic. And then there's another island out there called Procida, which is also volcanic. And the climate here is mostly Mediterranean. Um, but the altitude of where the vineyards sit place a really big role in um the grapes because it means there's big diurnal diurnal temperature swings which means um grapes in campania are harvested pretty late okay um like fiano their white grape isn't harvested till october Damn. and their flagship red aglianico isn't mm-hmm. harvested until november so as i mentioned the soils are extremely volcanic here um there it's got lava pumice lapilli ash tooth Toof. Toof. <laughs> I know, it's so cute. I'm the tooth soil. <laughs> and there's a couple uh, DOCs which are like strictly volcanic soil, which is really cool. Uh, Vesuvio, obviously around Vesuvius, and Campi Flegri. Um, so the grape here, one thing I love about Campania and that I found super interesting is that Campania boasts um, a region where native grapes are like the big deal. There's mm-hmm. hardly any um, international grapes here. They play a very, very insignificant role. And there's at least over a hundred different indigenous uh, grape varieties here. Cool. But the big ones are, um, as I said, Alianico, and then another native grape called Piedro Rosso. Mm-hmm. And then the main white grapes are Fiano, Falangina, Greco, and Cota de Volpe. Um, 
and not a lot of, you know, so we talked about Piedmont recently. Piedmont's an area that has so many DOC and DOCGs. Yeah. This is such a small proportion of the winemaking here. There's only four DOCGs, 15 DOCs. That's 20% of the production. And then even IGT is very low, like 10%. And then the rest of it is all table wine drunk by the country. <laughs> yeah. So it's pretty nuts that you have like such unique terroir yeah. and history and so little of it goes anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. It stays there. So anyway, what we're going to drink today, getting to the wine, is one of Campania's flagship white grapes. This is a Falangina. So fun to say. I know. It's the most ancient grape of Campania, and it's the most widely planted grape variety in Campania. Um, it is made varietal or as a blending partner. There's actually uh, two biotypes as well, one called Flagrea, ah. <laughs> which is the most widespread, and then Beneventana, which is more common to that particular province. But a lot of producers will grow both and then not really like care. Like, like there's Wait, like, yeah, they're both in that. In. Okay, got they're it. They're both in that wine. It's like clones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So some of the hallmarks of this grape that you can look out for is that it's kind of got some really like heady f notes of like flowers and almonds and stone fruits to tropical fruits, but while still maintaining a really crisp acidity. So it's not super heavy. Um, and most of it is dry and unoaked. And it can be released a few months after the harvest, but can also, and, and it, because of that really uh, crisp acidity, this will also translate into a sparkling or frizzante wine. And some people also do a pesito like sweet style with this. This is very floral. You weren't kidding. Yeah, it's, um, what were my notes on this one? Oh yeah. On the nose, I got like um, marzipan, peaches, fresh basil, and a little bit of clementine. Mm. And then kind of similar kind of variations on the palate. So like some orange pith, um, just some straight raw almonds, pear, and that peach. Straight raw Straight almonds. raw almonds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this um, is just an IGT wine, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go into, you know, I was just trying to give you a quick backstory of Campania. I didn't want to get into all those DOC and DOCGs because a lot of the wine coming from here is IGT mm -hmm. and table wine. So the producer is La Capranera, which translates to black goat. And there's a cute little black goat on the cute. label. And it's named for the goats that graze the park near where the grapes are grown. And this is a national park in Campania. So this particular producer makes three uh, wines from the three flagship grapes. Um, which are Fiano, Elianago, and Falangina. And the grapes are harvested from vineyards in the area of the National Park Salento. And it's mm. just a couple miles from the sea. So there's a lot of like sea influence uh, nice. coming into these vineyards. And the vineyards are kind of old. They're 16 years old, which is dope. Uh, the soil here is a mixture of some, a little bit of volcanic and clay. Chalk are the dominant um, types of minerals in here. So, um, yeah, it's, I've looked on the website and this producer put the worst effing tasting notes for this <laughs> wine. Are you ready for these? Oh, goodness. Cedar and banana. I get the banana. Cedar? Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This didn't have any banana yesterday. It's kind of coming out a little bit. But not Cedar. Like bad, but like that, just two? Mm-hmm. Just two. Someone tasted this one. It's like, Banana. And that was it. <laughs> it has some really nice, like, white flowers. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah. I I feel like this could go with, like, a nice appetizer, like a really yummy salad. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's salad wine. It's salad wine. I think it's, yeah, it's good, like, um, appetizer mm -hmm. wine. I want it with, it, you know, some really nice um, fish. I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't know what that's like. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Maybe I, a shrimp. I know I bring up fish oil. Think... It's so good. Yeah, shrimp. A nice shrimp. Coconut shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> Another honorable mention for coconut shrimp at the bottom <laughs> Ah, this is great. I'm I'm a big fan of Falangina. I went to a tasting once of uh, wines of Campania and um, cool. Yeah, the the native varietals there are just really cool and. Thank you for, for highlighting that raging because I didn't know a whole lot about it um, other than hearing them, hearing the names of those varietals and tasting them once or twice. So. My kind of like general overview is that 
the more north you get mm -hmm. in Italy, the more you're going to see international varieties. Uh, and that's kind of the same in... Actually, no, I'm, I'm lying. <laughs> Don't lie to me. <laughs> I was going to say that's the same in France, but Bordeaux is definitely southern. If you go southeast, it's just the fucking wild west. Which that's is the weird. thing. I kind of like when you think about it, like south of France kind of correlates to northern Italy, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. that's just kind of like this is where everything kind of definitely grows. <laughs> yeah. I mean, speaking of Mediterranean, you picked a Mediterranean area and I did too because I was like, that was something I didn't really know a lot about. I knew a lot about like kind of very famous areas in France. Um, and there are some really fun regions that I learned about. And so the one I'm going to highlight today is Roussillon, which is fun to say. Um, it's basically at the, the southernmost point in France, um, but it's southeast. So it borders the Mediterranean Ocean and it's technically part of the Languedoc-Roussillon area. So you're always gonna hear Languedoc-Roussillon, but they're technically different areas and they weren't administratively joined together until 1972. So they have their own historical, you know, uh, backgrounds, different things happening there and being established, winemaking practices being established separate of each other. And then they became one region. Um, within yeah this last century and so technically um it's at the foot of the pyrenees mountains in southern southeastern france and uh like i said it's it's all the way bumps right up against the mediterranean ocean um and it's basically like if you think of languedoc roussillon as like kind of this really long curving strip all the way over to Provence. It's basically takes up like the entirety of the, the coastal area of um, the Mediterranean part of France. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's very, very mountainous. So it's, it's just very much like an amphitheater effect in the area of Roussillon and that it's surrounded by mountains kind of like the entire region is surrounded by mountains and they, it basically protects from the uh, from any inclement weather coming in from the rest of the region. And Ooh, then it also, yeah, yeah, it's a rain shadow going on. I just want to get a big t-shirt. It so. says rain shadow. <laughs> Like, what the fuck, what is, the that? fuck is that? You'd be like, pro rain shadow, rain shadow 2022. It's like, you know where your wine came from? It's because of a, a rain, rain shadow. shadow. <laughs> and then it gets obviously, um, it's also just a really windy area. So there's these w very violent winds called the Mistral that come in from France. That and then, sounds yeah. <laughs> and then there's other violent winds that come in that are, uh, go north from the, from over the ocean into the region called the Tramontane. So uh, even though it is on the ocean, it stays very, very dry and very, um, it prevents drought because of all of these winds. It aerates the soil. Also, they do have very volcanic soil, similar to it's Charlie Howling. Yeah. It's totally howling. <laughs> it's like an ambulance. It's like an ambulance going, going by. by. <laughs> Man, I love that your dog does that. Sorry. I know, we do. <laughs> <laughs> sings the song of his people. Um, There's an emergency uh, somewhere. <laughs> um, so they also have this. Roussillon also has uh, very volcanic soils, red soils, and and um, Rus means red. So lots of iron-rich clay and sand. Lots of red soils. Um, it's super sunny and dry in that region. They get 325 days of sun in a year. I know. <laughs> Sounds. What's that like? What's that like? They have, uh, and, and Roussillon has um, 13 AOCs within it, and they're also the leading producer of Vin du Naturel in uh, France, which, again, it's a fortified wine, and it's usually a sweet wine. So they produce 80% of these VDNs from the country. So uh, that's what we're going to be tasting oh God, today. I know. I was like, I didn't think I'd be out, a yeah, fortified let's, wine let's today. Let's pull out a, something special. Um, so there's five AOCs within Roussillon that make VDNs. There's the Rivesaltes, the Muscat de Rivesaltes, which is only Muscat, uh, Maori, Banyuls, and Banyuls Grand Cru. We're going to be drinking a Banyuls today. Um, the grapes, I literally just wrote down grapes, page 217. <laughs> this is what I was talking about earlier. And I was book. like, I don't want to write this down again. Um, <laughs> I know, like, 
The only time I really do a lot of handwriting is when we're doing podcast prep. Yes. And like towards Your the hand, end of it, man, just... my hand, but it makes me retain the information so much better. It does. Rather than Same. It out, so. The main grapes that are used in VDNs, um, if you're using, if you're having a white VDN, it's going to be uh, Muscat or uh, there's two types, Muscat Petit Grand Blanc and Muscat de Alexandre. Um, or if it's not one of the muscats, it's going to be Grenache Blanc, Grenache Gris, and uh, Mavoise de Roussillon and Macabeo. And then if it's a red VDN, it's probably Grenache. <laughs> so At least 50% Grenache. So VDN has like natural in its name. It would lead one to think that it's like a natural one. Yeah. Because dew is sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, Vaughn is wine, so Vaughn du Naturel. I don't know why it's Naturel. Maybe because the sugar... The sugar, yeah, it's... I mean, so they have to pick it with a really high sugar concentration level, and then the process for fortifying wine, um, they call mutage. So that's when you add a, a neutral grape spirit to the wine and it stops the fermentation process which is why most of these are sweet because it doesn't ferment all the way to dryness but that also adds it also brings up the the alcohol levels mm. in the wine so all of the vdns have to be at least 15 percent abv if not higher 16. this one's 16.25 wow this is really really delicious so this is a this is a, a red banyuls and Additionally, on top of it being a banyuls, which means it's it's and being red, which means it's gonna be Grenache, it says Ors de Age, which means it's aged for at least uh, five years oxidatively. So all VDNs can be aged either oxidatively or reductively, which means not oxidatively. And they have like a fun color chart. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so there's like specific terms for like how aged they get. Is if... gray for the oldest one? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the oldest one is called rancio. Oh, like rancid. That's an isn't un... that unappetizing? God, somebody <laughs> should have called Jim to rename this stuff. <laughs> Jim, <laughs> Jim. <laughs> so if you have a, a white reductive, a, aka uh, aged without oxygen. Um, white it's just called blanc which is easy to remember and then if you have a an aged vdn that's a red that's aged reductively it's called granat and then on the oxidative side there's a couple extra names so the whites are ombre um <laughs> like the hairstyle like, ombre <laughs> or the reds are tuile and then if you add that five years of aging you got or daage and then if you have 12 months of oxidative aging outdoors in these fun glass jars called bonbons, you get rancio and it's real brown. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Bonbon jars. Bonbon jars. So like apparently if you go to Roussillon and you drive around uh, naturally on your vacation in the French Mediterranean, <laughs> you see these on the hillsides. You see these like glass bonbons on the hillsides just chilling out and aging. In the sun though? In the sun. Okay, yeah. wow, it's like, yeah. it's like sun tea, but It's like what? sun tea, but sun wine, but basically. But sun wine, all right. Yeah, so this uh, this wine is Domaine du Mablanc Banyul or d'Age, Le Coloc. Yeah, like we said, it is a 16.25% ABV. Boy. It's a big boy. It is, um, really reminds me of a port. Mm, it's really Lord. nice. So this would be Tuile because it's definitely not Rancio. <laughs> it has a really good description on the back. So uh, Le Coloc uniquely captures both vivid fruit notes and taste hallmarks of great age. Started in 1998, this cuvee blends two-thirds of more recent vintages with one-third of older vintages. Average age of eight years. So the Ordeage indicating five years, but I guess it can be five years plus. A family property since 1639. Wow, that's hella old. Domaine du Mas Blanc represents the tradition and leadership of Dr. André Parce and his son, current winemaker Jean-Michel Parce. The family takes old vine Grenache from the steep hillside slopes to deliver intense, lively, and mineral banyuls capable of contained improvement in bottle. Capable of contained improvement. I think I need a label. 
<laughs> on my like shirt. A, um, this smells really delicious. Mm-hmm. It kind of smells like uh, when you just crack the wrapper on a dark chocolate bar. Yeah. They say um, the Benules is really good with chocolate. I don't have any chocolate, unfortunately, to try with it. Monster. I'm a fucking monster. <laughs> but I did get notes of you know, prune, obviously, fig, um, cocoa. And then once you taste it, there's like a dried cherry note and cigar box. It's just mm, so delicious. You know, so sometimes on a hot climate Grenache, Mm -hmm. the alcohol can get pretty up there. Oh, yeah. And get up to like 15%. And then like a port can is like starting in the 18%. Mm -hmm. So this is nice because it's like right in the middle of those two. So you're not getting So once we get into port, like a lot of the tannins are gone. Yeah. And there's still just like there's some tannin oh, in oh, here. There's a little bit of tannin in here. It's not, it's not, it's it's like the perfect amount, well balanced. Yeah. Like, again, <laughs> Vindu Naturel was something I didn't know anything about going into this course, and it's such a I guess a prized thing in these Southern Appalachians. Um, and yeah, a lot of the Southern Appalachians make it, including. Um, let's see, including Corsica, I think has some VDNs as well. Yeah. Um, Even, even um, Cote d'Arone has some VDNs in its Southern regions. I had no idea about VDNs. I had no idea. Now I know something new today. If you like sweet wines. I do, you know, I I occasionally. I love dessert wine. It's so good. (laughs) People just, you're not going to be drinking dessert wine like Mm -mm. you would a normal wine. Oh no. It's, it's after, it is, it really is. Instead of a dessert, you can just have some of this after dinner. It takes the place of your dessert. Or you can even have it with something sweet because the sweet and the sweet is going to complement each mm-hmm. other. Should we do seven things with each other's wines? Fuck yes. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I will gladly drink yeah. some more of this. Uh, Vin du Natural. The labeling on this is mm-hmm. also so like um It looks real like, like medieval. It looks from the yeah, from the fucking crusades. Yeah, it really does. I'm dropping a lot of F bombs <laughs> in this episode, but look at the fucking crusades. Yeah, I oh my um, god, the crusades were I would so not dumb. go into a store and be like, Oh yeah, this this is something I need to purchase. But oh knowing what it was, knowing the region, knowing how special these wines are, um, I was able to like go into a store and be like, Oh, yes, I wanna try this. And it, you know, those of you that are like, well, I don't know what to distinguish. Dessert dessert wines are always in smaller bottles. Always. Yeah. Always. So this is a 375 milliliter bottle. Um, it's also just a good way to try stuff because like, even though dessert wine, when you open it, it will keep for a lot longer, but um, you don't have a lot of it like you would have, you know, a five ounce glass pour of regular um, wine. Anyway. Anywho. It's seven things time. It's seven things time. Um, do you want to go first this time? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Falangina. With the Falangina. Okay. Adrian. Yes. Seven things you would do drinking the black goat <laughs> Falangina. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I want a black goat. I guess I get down on some goat cheese. Yes. Yes. Oh, chef. Uh, some delicious. Actually, you know what? I get, um, have you ever been to New Seasons and they have the chev with like the little like fig jam on top of it? It comes in a container. It sounds amazing. And like, it's so good. Uh, there's one grocery store I kind of avoid. It's New Seasons just because it's so expensive. It's It got more expensive somehow It too. did. It did. <laughs> oh, it's like the closest thing to me. It's very annoying. One. One. Um, oh, goodness. I think I would... I go rent a kayak, yeah, and I'd go kayak on the Willamette River oh, with this wine. Just There's a, a chilled bottle of Falangina at my side. Mm, mm. Super Portland activity too. Yeah, <laughs> I'd order a monogrammed notebook. You would do that <laughs> because I love you and I know you, and that sounds absolutely like something that is a legit seven things you would do. Number three. <laughs> And I'm probably never writing it because I'd be too afraid that the thoughts I would have that day were not good enough for this monogrammed notebook. Oh, man. Anxiety <laughs> at its peak. <laughs> uh, and then I'd carry it around from place to place as I moved. And oh, goodness. Um, man, the story of the monogrammed notebook. You could write like a children's book. Oh, God. And the notebook was sad the because it never got written sad. in. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then it burned in a fire. Um, and it was, yeah, that got it was dramatic. Real, real oh, dark, wow. giving tree ending. <laughs> <laughs> and then the tree was chopped down. Is that three? Uh, that was three, yes. That's three. Um, I would, I would build a spice cabinet. Damn, a little woodworking? A little woodworking. Nice. And, you know, I'd probably have to go out and replace a lot of the spices that I've totally had for five years, even though they tell you not to have spices for that long. I'm pretty sure I'm using cinnamon that's 10 years old. (laughs) It's okay. I tried to use some coriander that was, like, clearly just doesn't taste like anything anymore the other day, and it was just like, wah, wah, sad ghost. It's like, what's the sad price? It's right. Oh, yes. (laughs) Um, I would go apply to be on the Price is Right. Oh, is that four? Uh, I think this is five. Price is Right is five? Price is Right is five. Yep. With wherever in California together. Let's do it! We have to! Yes! Let's go be in the audience of the Price is Right! We probably won't get called, but it doesn't matter. Oh my god. Anyway, uh, so yes, that was five for you. Two more glorious things you will do while drinking Falangina. I'd pick a spot by the ocean and I'd sit there all day and just watch it. But like kind of like up on a cliff somewhere, mm. not like on the beach. Civic City is great for that. Ooh. And just watch all day, just the people coming and going, nice. the sun getting lower and lower, the golden hues, the coldness setting in. And I'd drink this wine. It'd probably be gone in like an hour. <laughs> and then I'd be like, damn it, I need more Falangina. <laughs> Of a bitch. Son of a bitch. <laughs> um, yeah, six. six. Uh, seven, I would begin to run for city council, and then I would get elected to city council, and then I'd be a council member, and I'd be a really good council member, and then I would work my way up to being maybe a state senator, and then from there I'd go on to be governor, and then I would issue a law that bans Keynes. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Never has a person hated a brand of shoes more. I, you know, I appreciate the brand and the company because they do a lot of nice, sustainable things. But God, they're so ugly. They're, they're very so like, ugly. They're bulbous. They're, they're Yeah, bulbous. That's the it's word like round. They they're took, very round. It's like if they took a Tiva or a Chaco, <laughs> which already people like, you're not wearing Tevas or Chacos because you have a sense of fashion. You're either wearing them because you don't have a sense of fashion or because for practical purposes, like river walking. Yeah. But Keens just takes it to a next level. They're like, what if we took a Chaco and we made it hideous? Fucking hideous. <laughs> it's, or it's like, let's take a regular hiking shoe and then cut holes in cut it. Cut lots of holes in it. Or <laughs> 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 like... <laughs> I own a pair, but it was only because they were in the like bargain basement of Adventure Adventure Time. I had a pair of like Keen boots. They were like a platform thigh boot. They were black, and were they fashion? They were like a fashion, but I don't know what I was thinking. The problem again is their like the toe was so round. It they sound lo- like my demonias, but those were like for goth parties. <laughs> and I kept trying to be like, you bought these, you have to wear these. Yes. <laughs> you just and like I would couldn't do it. to wear them. And then finally, after sitting in the closet for many years, I was oh, like, oh no. It's not meant to be. It's just not meant to be. <laughs> Seven. Seven things. Seven things. <laughs> Oh, all right, Hallie. Um, what are the seven things you would do with your Ma Blanc? Domaine du Ma Blanc, Bagno au de Age, um, I'm Le Coloc. I'm going to do a theme, seven things. Le Coloc. Inspired by the old timey Crusade label. Excellent! Yeah, it really does. It really <laughs> looks like old timey Crusades. All right. So. Okay. Um, this might get. Dark or dramatic, I don't know. Oh, okay. it is. Okay. Just like this one. <laughs> yes. First. Yes. I would frantically stumble through my library, <gasps> looking, looking, <gasps> looking for the book that contains, yes, <gasps> the prophecy. <laughs> you have the book that contains the prophecy. Yes. <laughs> All right, one, one. What? 
I would then, I would then frantically rush out of my library, <gasps> down into the stables, and I would reach and find my stable boy, and I would grab him by the collar and be like, "It's you. It's You're the prophecy. You're the prophecy." Are people chasing you at this point? No, I'm still in my own manner. Okay. <laughs> what is the what is the stable boy's name? Peter. Peter. Peter is the prophecy. Peter is the prophecy. Two. Two. <laughs> Peter would fight with me. He'd be like, no, no, I'm not the prophecy. And I would be like, yes, Peter, you are the prophecy. And then he would finally be like, unleash a locket in his, on his neck that actually is, is the key to the door of the area we need to travel to to save the world. Oh my God, you're fucking time traveling. Three. <laughs> uh, four, we ready the horses. The... <laughs> The most important stuff. You have to make sure your Very horses must ready for travel. That's right. <laughs> they have hay. They need to be brushed. <laughs> I need to call the farrier in to fix their <laughs> shoes. Their shoes. <laughs> Can't leave with a bad shoe. Nope, not. Four. We would travel and foot along the English countryside. The mud is kicking up. The wind is in our face. The rain is in our hair. And that's when I look back and Peter isn't on his horse anymore. <gasps> Peter! 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 Peter is off his horse. Peter, five! Five, six. I stop my horse. I get off. I'm frantically looking for Peter. Peter. I'm shouting his name. And then I finally come across Peter. And he is dead. <gasps> Peter! What causes? What causes? This horse trampled him after he fell off of it. Damn. Peter didn't even have a chance. Or does he? <gasps> Six. Seven. I hold Peter's locket in my hand. And the rain falls on it. And I scream up to the heavens, Peter. Peter! And his soul comes out of his body and speaks to me and says the prophecy was my death and the death is the key to life the end damn <laughs> Peter had to die in order to become the prophecy that's yep. dark I told you it was gonna get dark that's and really weird. dark <laughs> were you just like now what do I do with this information <laughs> Yep. Damn it, Peter. Now I gotta drag your dead, dead ass body. And I have to go back into my library uh, and shuffle through the books frantically again. 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 Oh, cheers to, to that. Oh, cheers. Excellent tale. <laughs> Thank you. Peter and the I Tale just, of the Prophecy. This wine really inspired me to tell a, tell a story through seven things. To tell a tale. <laughs> oh. Well, hopefully yeah. that uh, episode was slightly informative for hopefully. you. Hopefully. boggle your brain with hopefully not. too much Italian and, and French stuff. But you know what? Again, moral of the story is pick a grape you like, find out where it's grown, research. Exactly. Chianti's not a grape. And Chianti <laughs> is not a grape. Not a grape. <laughs> not a grape. <laughs> not a grape. Hashtag not a grape. <laughs> Bye. Bye.